best and the worst. Mark chapter 6, verse 14. And King Herod heard of him, for his name was spread abroad. And he said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. Others said that it is Elias. And others says that, that it is a prophet, or as one of the prophets. But when Herod heard thereof, he said, It is John whom I beheaded. He is risen from the dead. You know, our text tonight presents an amazing contrast. It leads to a terrible tragedy. On the one hand, we have the mighty prophet of God, John the Baptist. John the Baptist was in a very interesting position. He was the last prophet of the Old Testament, the first prophet of the New Testament. Uh, he was prophesied and promised. He had an unusual birth, an unusual diet. Uh, there was so much about John the Baptist that we just love to talk about. I would have loved to have heard him preach. I hope God has some of his sermons on uh, a cassette or something. Uh, <laughs> I guess I could look for something a little better than cassette, maybe. Uh, maybe just turn him loose and let him preach some more for us. That would be all right, wouldn't it? I, I look forward to hearing him. Jesus said this of Matthew chapter, in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 11 of John, Verily I say unto you, Among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. There's not risen one greater than John. Of those who were natural born, if we were to ask ourselves the question, well, who's the greatest man that ever lived outside of Jesus Christ? Obviously, Jesus Christ uh, had that unique birth. He was fully man, fully God. But of natural born men, who was the greatest? Well, we can quote Jesus Christ on that. That was John the Baptist. Among those born of women, there's not risen one greater than John. And yet Jesus says, he that is least, or literally he that's later in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Uh, there was one greater. John knew that. <coughs> he said it right from the beginning. There's one coming after me who is preferred before me. I'm not worthy, he said, to loose the buckles of his sandal, to undo the latchets of his shoes. I, I'm not, there's one coming after me that's greater than me. And of course, that was Jesus himself. And thus we have before us tonight the title that I chose to use for this message, The Best and the Worst, because here in this passage we have one who is one of the best men, or certainly, according to Jesus, the greatest man who ever lived, and contrasted then with one of the worst men who ever lived. Uh, John the Baptist was the precursor to the appearance of, of Jesus, the Messiah. Now his death would serve as the precursor to Jesus' death. Both would die from a human perspective because of their confrontation of the power structure in Israel in their day. Uh, they had a no-holds-barred approach to the preaching of the Word of God, and it, we could say both of them were would cause to die. Uh, because of that preaching. Both would die at the hands of a powerful but manipulated ruler knowing, who lacked the courage to stand for what he knew was right. Both Jesus and John would die for a far higher purpose that God himself 
had determined, a purpose that was overshadowed by any merely human definition of what happened to them, why they died, how they lived. Then there's Herod. In Luke chapter 13 and verse 31, Jesus said this of them, The same day there came certain of the Pharisees, saying unto them, Get thee out and depart hence, for Herod will kill thee. And he said unto them, Go ye and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out devils, and I do cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. In other words, Jesus said, You go tell that fox, I'll be right here. <laughs> he wants to come kill him, kill me, come on, tell him, come on, tell the fox. Tell that fox. He was a crafty man, you see. Jesus knew that. He never had anything good to say about him. And in fact, the, the Jews oftentimes uh, uh, would not even repeat their names. Who was this Herod? Well, he was one of the sons of Herod the Great. Uh, Herod the Great was the one who tried to kill Jesus when he heard that he was born at the testimony of the wise men. That was Herod the Great. Uh, this Herod married several times. He had, or had children with all of them. And uh, those children of Herod the Great then began to intermarry among themselves in a way that both then and now would be considered scandalous. Uh, Herod Antipas would rule then uh, and had the dubious distinction of being involved in the death of both Jesus and John the Baptist. He married Herodias who was his double niece, double niece. What that means is she was the daughter of one brother and the wife of another brother. So that made her a double niece. You say, that's confusing. Yeah, it's confusing, yeah. It was a mess is what it was. It was quite scandalous, more so because Herodias had been married to his brother Philip and then she decided since uh, his other brother was going to be the one that sat on the throne, she would leave him, marry him. And the incident then that brought up this discussion of Herod and John the Baptist is found in the answer to the disciples' question in Mark chapter 4 and verse 41. Uh, they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You see, Jesus was doing wonderful miracles, incredible miracles that no one had ever done before. The lame would walk, the dumb would speak, those who could not hear had their hearing restored. Gave sight to the blind, raised the dead, walked on water, fed the 5,000. Uh, that uh, uh, caused quite a stir. And Herod had heard of him. And Herod began then to wonder, well, just exactly who is this? And there was quite a discussion of that. And you even see much of this playing out. The demons uh, would see Jesus and try to worship him and he had forbidden the Gadarenes were afraid of him. Jairus came to him for help. The woman touched the hem of his garment. The citizens of Nazareth were astonished and, and then offended by him. The disciples were preaching his name and even working miracles in his name. And now it's gone all the way to the palace. Who is this? Who is this Jesus? And amazingly, Herod comes up with this plan. This is John the Baptist. John the Baptist, who I killed. He's 
coming back. It's interesting that they also would bring up Elijah. Because you remember, Elijah went to heaven without the touch of the death dew upon his brow. And the Old Testament promise prophesied that Elijah would return. So he's gone to heaven. Now Elijah would return. So there was uh, a great uh, discussion. Maybe this is Elijah. We put what uh, John the Baptist uh, had, had happened to him and what Herod considered about him. We put those things together. And it may very well be that John was thinking about how, uh, or, or Herod rather, was thinking about how that Elijah uh, was caught up into heaven and then Elisha would continue his ministry. And if you remember their Old Testament history, you'll remember that Elisha was charged then with wiping out the whole house of Ahab. You could understand how that King Herod might be a little bit concerned. I, I killed John the Baptist. I thought he was through. Now he's coming back. Maybe he's going to come back like Elisha did in Elijah. And he's going to wipe out my whole house. He was right to be concerned. Um, after all, be not deceived, the Bible says, God is not mocked. God is not mocked. But in bringing all that up, it gave uh, uh, Mark the opportunity to give us what we would call today kind of a flashback scene. Uh, as Herod speculates that Jesus is John the Baptist returned from the dead, Mark then is able to tell us what happened. And it's a tragic story. You first notice the entanglement that he had with Herodias. Uh, Herod himself, verse 17, had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. That's an interesting statement. Uh, for he had married her. For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Therefore Herodias had a quarrel against him and would have killed him, but she could not. You see, Herod had taken his brother Philip's wife and John the Baptist preached about it. The Bible does not tell us exactly how this scene might have played out. It could very well have happened where, you know, they were going down the road traveling one day in their royal procession, carried along perhaps uh, as they would have been as, as king and queen. And suddenly there's John the Baptist. <laughs> and he just starts preaching to them. It is not lawful. What you're doing is not right. This is a king, by the way. <laughs> what you're doing is not right. He might have showed up at their palace one day. Being a prophet, they might have decided to give him an audience to the king. Such a thing was not unusual in Israel. But I would imagine that when John the Baptist's uh, subject was announced, our subject for today will be what's wrong in the palace. Mm, that wouldn't have gone over very well. We don't know how it played out. All we know is that John the Baptist had publicly, powerfully, unashamedly confronted this king in his sin. It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Herodias then had a quarrel against him. That is, she was very angry at him. 
She had a murderous rage in her heart. She would have killed him. But she didn't have that authority. So she pondered those things in her heart. Herodias then is a bitter, vindictive, and evil woman. She might have longed for the love and admiration of her husband, but her husband lived his life. We know historically, we know even from these passages that he lived his life in fear of her. And because he was fearful of her, he didn't love her the way he, she wanted him to. She longed for the respect and loyalty of her subjects. She didn't get that either. She was a selfish and egotistical person. She was in a position of leadership. And when a person who is consumed with herself and full of herself, uh, she would move at all costs then to protect her reputation against anybody who would dare to insult it. She was indignant at John the Baptist. She hated him. Now to see how that played out, remember Jesus called Herod a fox and he did nothing. He didn't do anything about it. He didn't send out the troops to arrest him, didn't throw him in jail. But John the Baptist preached against his marriage to Herodias. And before long, he was in prison. And had Herodias had her way, he'd have been dead. For once, Herod had to deal with somebody that he feared even more than he feared his wife or that he feared the people or that he feared the Romans. He feared John the Baptist. How do we know that? Verse 20, Mark chapter 6 and verse 20, For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and a holy, and observed him, and when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. What an amazing passage. Here he was, married to his brother's wife, living and enjoying this sinful union, and yet he would leave Herodias and go down to the jail cell to listen to John. It's, it's such an interesting thing because he loved hearing John preach. He even responded to many of the things John says. It says it right here. He heard him and he did many things. He responded in his own way to the preaching of John the Baptist. It's no wonder. Think about how many thousands of people went out to hear him in the wilderness. Think about how many thousands of people made professions of faith in Jesus Christ because of John's preaching. Think about how many people were baptized, had their lives changed at the preaching of John the Baptist. It's no wonder then that Herod the king would be spellbound. As he listened to him preach, as he felt the power of the message of the word of God. And though he loved to sin, he didn't change that. He loved to hear the preaching of John the Baptist as well. The Bible says then that Herod the king feared John. It's a sad indictment of the situation in America today that I doubt there's a politician anywhere that fears a preacher in America today. Maybe that's the preacher's fault. But we live in a time when people do not fear God. 
And as God said to Ezekiel long ago, he said, I'm sending you to a hard-hearted, hard-headed people who will not listen to you, God said, because they won't listen to me. If they're not listening to God, they don't fear God, it's not a big step for us to understand why they don't want to listen to preaching either. Of course, what did God do? (laughs) He sent them a preacher anyway. Whether they were going to listen or not, whether they liked it or not, whether they wanted it or not, God didn't send Ezekiel down there to make the Word of God acceptable. He went down there to make it available. Such has been the task of preachers throughout all of these many years that God's been calling us to do it. Herod knew John was a just and holy man. He knew that he was right in his condemnation of his union with Herodias. Not only was John a just man, a right righteous man, he was also a holy man, which speaks of his position then as a prophet. John had a Nazarene vow upon him. That meant that he had never married. It it meant that he did not shave or cut his hair. He drank no strong drink or wine. We know he lived in the deserts. He lived off the land far removed from the indulgences that Herod and the Romans were bringing to Israel during this time. He knew that John was a just man. And he knew that John was a holy man. The Bible also tells us that Herod observed John. He was watching him and having him watched. He was keeping up with where he went and what he preached. He heard him himself. He listened to him. He he went to to hear him and and talk to him. John did some preaching, not in just a casual way. Herod heard him. Herod listened to him. He was willing and eager to hear more. When he got through with one message, he he couldn't wait to hear another one. He was excited by every opportunity to hear John preach. And so we see then this uh, dilemma that this puts Herod in because he knew he was a just man. He knew that he was a holy man. He knew that he was speaking the truth. He knew that his lifestyle uh, uh, confirmed and underlined and undergirded the message that he was delivering. He observed him. He knew him. He knew what he was. He knew who he was. What a dilemma then that his situation puts him in. Living in sin with Herodias. Loving a preacher. Such was Herod. Well, it always comes down to what the Bible calls a convenient day. Verse 21, and when a convenient day was come, that Herod on his birthday made a supper to his lords, high captains, and chief estates of Galilee. And when the daughter of the said Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod and them that sat with him... The king said unto the damsel, Ask me, ask of me whatsoever thou wilt, and I will give it thee. And he sware unto her, Whatsoever thou shalt ask of me, I will give it thee unto the half of my kingdom. And she went forth and said unto her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. The word convenient in this context means a correctly timed 
day, a strategic day, carefully planned, just the right time. You see, Herodias had a heart full of hate and she was waiting for just the right opportunity to turn it loose. And when it came, she recognized it immediately. It came at Herod's mountain fortress on the east side of the Dead Sea in the land we know as Jordan today. It's called Machaerus. Tradition tells us that her daughter's name was Salome and that during the birthday celebration of Herod, she was sent out to dance before Herod and his people. He might have well seen this girl uh, uh, dancing as a little child. Dancing in celebration uh, uh, like, like little girls do. That's not the kind of dance this was anymore. Now she sent out to perform a very sensual dance before Herod and before all of his friends. Very strange thing to ask of a princess, a member of the royal family, to so degrade herself and to so humiliate herself. But that was what was happening. Tells you a lot about Herod and his family and the way they operated to see this carried out, this plan carried out, and it worked to perfection. Herod promised, Salome responded, and in a matter of minutes, because he was kept in the dungeon of that very palace, that great preacher of the word was dead. What is going on in this passage? It's all showing us a lot about how Herod became this terrible and evil man. And a lot of it, what the Bible is putting on display, is his conscience. When Herod heard the message of Jesus and heard about what Jesus was doing and how he was operating, and he concluded, this is John the Baptist come back from the dead. What is that? It's his own conscience. His own conscience. His own conscience rising up, convicting him, causing him to think something that he should have known better. After all, he knew that Jesus and John the Baptist uh, had grown up together. They were about the same age. And, and uh, he, he knew that they had spent time together. So the very idea that somehow Jesus could be John the Baptist coming back from the dead should not have ever even uh, been something he considered. But it was. And he was convinced, in fact, that that's what it is. You know, the guilty flee when no man pursues. And we see then Herod's very troubled conscience on display. I heard about a little boy who was asked by a Sunday school teacher what conscience was. And he said, it is that thing that makes you tell your mother what you did before your sister does. <laughs> That's about as good a definition of conscience that I've ever seen. Oh. Herod heard God's message then preached by God's man and he was troubled first of all because of what he had done to his brother in taking his wife. But then Herod defiled his conscience as he went on deeper and deeper and deeper into sin. So that when Salome came in and danced, Herod offered half his kingdom. Tells you a little bit about how valuable John the Baptist's head was when she took John the Baptist's head rather than half the kingdom. Of course, uh, Her Herodias was not a fool. <laughs> uh, she knew that half the kingdom was not Herod's to give. 
Uh, he was a puppet of the Roman government, and he, they had put him in power, and, and they would be the ones who would put the next person in power. He, he didn't have any power to give her half the kingdom, and they knew it. That didn't matter. What she wanted was John the Baptist dead, and she got it. Herod knew that he was being asked to kill a righteous man. He knew that he was being asked to kill a prophet of God. He knew that he was asked to kill a holy man. He knew that he was asked to kill a man who spoke the truth without fear or favor. He knew that he was being asked to kill a man who did not deserve to die. His conscience must have screamed at him not to do it. But he did it anyway. His conscience was troubled. His conscience was defiled. And in the end then, his conscience is tormenting him. When he heard about Jesus and decided this was John the Baptist coming back. Why? That's his conscience speaking. He's coming back to get me. Coming back like Elisha came after the whole household of Ahab. It was perhaps easy for him to rationalize what he was doing before it was done. After all, he'd given his word. He had sworn before all his friends. He couldn't go back on that. Well, I didn't want to do it. It's not my fault. It's Herodias' fault. It's Salome's fault. But in the end, when it's just him and him alone, it's his own conscience that is tormenting him. And that's the way it always is. So tonight we have to set before us the story of two men. I call the best and the worst. One man who stayed true to his conscience, who lived for God, who preached the truth, who did it without fear, who preached even if that meant that he had to confront the king. He died. But he died with a clear conscience, knowing that he had done what God had sent him to do. He had lived that way. He died that way. And Jesus then was able to say, among those born of women, there's not risen one greater than John. The other, Herod, chose sin, and he went from a troubled conscience to a defiled conscience to a tormented conscience. But as it always does, the convenient day comes. There comes that time when something has to happen. When something has to go down, when that conscience just is being tormented and, and defiled and going deeper and deeper and deeper in sin, he came to that convenient time, the time when he made a fateful choice, when he took a step that couldn't be taken back, when he went too far and a life was taken that would cause him to live in misery for the rest of his life and die in disgrace. John the Baptist died at the hands of Herod. You might say that he died at the hands of an evil man who lacked conviction, who lived his life under the power and authority of sin and had no way of getting loose of that. But Herod himself would die at the hand of a man just like him, Caligula. Caligula. He lived in misery. He died in disgrace because he made a fateful choice. 
We'll close out with a couple of passages tonight that tell us then about the value of the conscience. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 15, the Bible says, Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. It's a terrible situation when a person allows their conscience to be defiled to the point that the Bible could say to them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. Exactly what does that mean? Well, to the pure all things are pure. That person who has a pure conscience and a pure heart who goes through life, you know, they don't don't see evil everywhere. They they tend to see good everywhere. So to the pure all things are pure. But to that person with a defiled conscience, nothing is is pure. What that means is, and you know people like this, they can make something dirty and nasty out of anything. No matter what a person is doing, no matter what they say, they see something evil. They'll look at a man who looks them in the eye and tells them the truth, and they say, that man's a liar, I don't believe a thing he says. They'd look at somebody trying to help them, and they say, what's he out to do? To the defiled, you see, nothing is pure. They make everything in the world as dirty as their own heart is dirty. I want you to know tonight that we don't have to live that way, and God doesn't intend for us to end up that way. I love Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience? from dead works to serve the living God. Purge your conscience. We know about purging. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail with it. I'll just throw it out there. We know what purging is. The blood of Jesus Christ can purge your heart. From a dead conscience, a defiled conscience, It's only involved in evil works. But the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all our sin. God doesn't intend for us to live our lives tormented by our conscience. Tormented by the bad decisions and the bad choices that we've made. A tormented conscience that just draws us deeper and deeper and deeper into sin. Until finally some horrible choice is made that can't be undone. It doesn't have to be that way. Because the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. I don't know how many times Herod heard John the Baptist preach. I don't know. But I know what he heard because John the Baptist preached the same thing most every time. (laughs) Uh, He preached, repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. Repentance from your sins. Sometimes he even named them. That's what he did with Herod. You've married your brother's wife and that's not right. All he had to do was repent. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Herod could have been saved. Listen to one of the greatest preachers that there ever was. And yet he died with a defiled, tormented conscience in disgrace. He had every chance. If I have a fear, it's that people will come into this service and into this church Sunday after Sunday and go out of here, live their lives, and die in disgrace and face an eternity in a place the Bible called hell. Though they heard the gospel preached, 
they could have believed. Our conscience can be tormented and defiled, but Jesus Christ can cleanse it. And I pray with you tonight, I plead with you. If your conscience is troubled, bring it to Jesus. Are you weary? Are you heavy hearted? Tell it to Jesus. Tell it to Jesus. He's there for you. Let's stand together.